The Orange Yellow Diamond by J. S. Fletcher. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 32 One O'Clock Midnight. Five minutes after Iskoff had gone away with Dr. Miranda Lay, the hotel servant who had summoned him from Purdy's sitting room knocked at the door for the second time and put a somewhat mystified face inside. "'Beg pardon, sir,' he said, glancing at Purdy, who was questioning Melky Rubinstein as to the events of the evening in their relation to the house in Maiden Vale. Two ladies outside, sir, wanting to see you. But they don't want to come in, sir, unless they know who's here. Don't want to meet no strangers, sir.' Purdy jumped to his feet, and putting the man aside, looked into the dimly lighted corridor. There, a few paces away, stood Zilla, and— half hidden by her, Mrs. Goldmark. "'Come in, come in!' he exclaimed. "'Nobody here but Andy Lauriston and Melky Rubinstein. You've something to tell. Something's happened?' He ushered them into the room, sent the hotel servant, obviously in a state of high curiosity about these happenings, away, and closed the door. "'So help me?' exclaimed Melky. "'There ain't no other surprises, Zilla.' You ain't come round at this time of night for nothing. What you got to tell, Zilla? Another development? Mrs. Goldmark has something to tell, answered Zilla. We didn't know what to do, and you didn't come, Melky. Nobody come. And so we locked the house and thought of Mr. Purdy. Mrs. Goldmark has seen somebody. Who? demanded Melky. Somebody now. What somebody? The man that came to a restaurant, replied Zilla. The man who lost the platinum solitaire. Mrs. Goldmark, who had dropped into the chair which Purdy had drawn to the side of the table for her, wagged her head thoughtfully. "'This way it was, then,' she said, with a dramatic suggestion of personal enjoyment in revealing a new feature of the mystery. "'I have a friend who lives in Stanhope Street, Mrs. Eisenberg. She sends to me at half-past ten to tell me she is sick. I go to see her immediate. I find her very poorly.' So I stop with her till past eleven, doing what I can. Then her sister, she comes. I can do no more. I come away. And I walk through Sussex Square, as my road back to Prade Street and Zilla. But before I am much across Sussex Square, I stop, sudden, like that. For what? Because I see a man. That man! Him what drops his cufflink on my table. Oh, yes. You're sure it was that man, Mrs. Goldmark? inquired Melky, anxiously. You don't make no mistake, so? Do I mistake myself if I say I see you, Mr. Rubinstein? exclaimed Mrs. Goldmark, solemnly and with emphasis. No, I don't make no mistakes at all. Is there not gas lamps? Am I not blessed with good eyes? I see him like as I see you there, young gentleman, and Zilla. Plain. Well, and what was he doing? asked Purdy, desirous of getting at facts. Did he come out of a house, or go into one, or what? I tell you, replied Mrs. Goldmark, everything I tell you all in good time, it is like this. A taxicab comes up, approaching me. 
it stops by the pavement two men they get out him first then another they pay the driver then they walk on a little just a few steps they go into a house the other man he lets them into that house with a latch-key the door opens shuts they are inside then i go to zillah and tell her what i see so the three young men exchanged glances and purdy turned to the informant mrs goldmark he said did you know the man who opened the door not from another replied mrs goldmark a stranger to me do you know mr levendale by sight asked purdy often since all this begins i ask myself that question said mrs goldmark him being so to speak a neighbor no that i do not not being able to say he was ever pointed out to me well you can describe the man who pulled out his latch-key and opened the door anyhow remarked purdy you took a good look at him i suppose and a good one answered mrs goldmark he was one of our people i saw his nose and his eyes and i was astonished to see so poor-looking a man have a latch-key to so grand a mansion as that he was dressed in poor clothes and looked dirty and mean a bearded dark man suggested purdy not at all said mrs goldmark a clean-shaved man though dark he might be purdy looked at melky and shook his head uh, that's not levendale he said clean-shaven levendale's bearded and mustached and i should say a bit vain of his beard uh, you're dead certain mrs goldmark about the other man as that i tell you this insisted mrs goldmark i see him as plain as what i see him when he calls at my establishment and leaves his jewelry on my table oh yes i don't make no mistake mr purdy purdy looked again at melky this time with an inquiry in his glance don't ask me mr purdy said melky i don't know what to say sounds like as if these two went into levendale's house well what man would have a latch-key to that but levendale himself more mystery ain't i full of it already now if mr eyescloth hadn't gone away look here said purdy coming to a sudden decision i'm going round there i want to know what this means i'm going to know you ladies had better go home if you others like to come as far as the corner of sussex square come but i'm going to levendale's house alone i'll find something out he said no more until zillah and mrs goldmark having gone homeward and he and his two companions having reached a side street leading into sussex square he suddenly paused and demanded their attention i've particular reasons for wanting to go into that house alone he said there's no danger trust me but if i'm not out again in a quarter of an hour or so you can come there and ask for me my own impression is that i shall find levendale there and as you're aware andy 
I know Levendale. He left them standing in the shadow of a projecting portico, and going up to Levendale's front door, rang the bell. There was no light in any of the windows. All appeared to be in dead stillness in the house. Somewhere, far off in the interior, he heard the bell tinkle. And suddenly, as he stood waiting and listening, he heard a voice that sounded close by him, and he became aware that there was a small trap or grill in the door, behind which he made out a face. "'Who's that?' whispered the voice. "'John Purdy. Wanting to see Mr. Levendale,' he answered promptly. The door was just as promptly opened, and as Purdy stepped within was as quickly closed behind him. At the same instant the click of a switch heralded a flood of electric light, and he started to see a man standing at his side, a man who gave him a queer, depreciating smile, a man who was not, and yet, who was, Levendale. "'Gracious me!' exclaimed Purdy. "'It isn't—' "'Yes,' said Levendale, quietly. "'But it is, though. All right, Purdy, come this way.' Purdy followed Levendale into a small room on the right of the hall, a room in which the remains of a cold, evidently impromptu supper lay on a table lighted by a shaded lamp. Two men had been partaking of that supper, but Levendale was alone. He gave his visitor another queer smile, and pointed, first to a chair, and then to a decanter. "'Sit down, take a drink,' he said. "'This is a queer meeting. We haven't seen each other since—' "'Good God, man!' broke in Purdy, staring at his host. "'What's it all mean? Are you disguised?' Levendale laughed, ruefully, and glanced at the mean garments which Mrs. Goldmark had spoken of. "'Necessity,' he said. "'Had to. Ah, I've been through some queer times, and in queer places. Look here, what do you know?' "'No?' cried Purdy. "'You want me to tell you all I know, in a sentence. Man, it would take a month.' What do you know? That's more like it. Levendale passed a hand across his forehead. There was a weariness in his gesture, which showed his visitor that he was dead beat. Aye, just so, he said. But tell me, has Jim Purvis come looking for his brother? He has, answered Purdy. He's in London just now. Has he told about the diamond? Told the police? demanded Levendale. "'He has,' replied Purdy. "'That's all known. Stephen Purvis. Where is he?' "'Upstairs, asleep, dead tired out,' said Levendale. "'We both are. Night and day, day and night, I could fall on this floor and sleep.' "'You've been after that diamond?' suggested Purdy. "'That, and something else,' said Levendale. "'Something else?' asked Purdy. "'What, then?' Eighty thousand pounds,' answered Levendale. "'Just that.' Purdy stood staring at him. Then he suddenly put a question. "'Do you know who murdered that old man in Prague Street?' he demanded. "'That's what I'm after.' "'No,' said Levendale promptly. "'I don't even know that he was murdered.' He, too, stared at his visitor for a moment. Then— But I know more than a little about his being robbed, 
he added significantly. Purdy shook his head. He was puzzled and mystified beyond measure. This is getting too deep for me, he said. You're the biggest mystery of all, Levendale. Look here, he went on. What are you going to do? This queer disappearance of yours, this being away, coming back without your beard and dressed like that. Aren't you going to explain? The police. Yes, said Levendale. Ten o'clock this morning, the police station. Be there, all of you, anybody, anybody who likes. I'm going to tell the police all I know. Purvis and I, we can't do any more. Baffled, you understand. But now go away, Purdy, and let me asleep. I'm dead done for. Within ten minutes of leaving them, Purdy was back with Loriston and Melky Rubinstein, and motioning them away from Sussex Square. "'That's more extraordinary than the rest,' he said, as they all moved off. "'Levendale's there, in his own house right enough. And he's shaved off his beard and mustache, and he's wearing tramp's clothes, and he and Stephen Purvis have been looking night and day for that confounded diamond, and for eighty thousand pounds. And what's more, Levendale does not know who killed Daniel Multinius, or that he was murdered. But by George, sirs, he added, as high above their heads the clock of St. James's Church struck one. He knows something big, and we've got to wait nine hours to hear it. End of chapter 32